This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Andy Call here with you as usual in the company of Alan Morrison and Jiko James will be with us shortly. And we're a little disappointed on the podcast this week because despite winning the game 3-2, despite scoring more goals than Rangers, despite actually getting the three points and going 12 points ahead on the table, Celtic lost that game, Alan Morrison, didn't they? Celtic lost against Rangers this weekend. <laughs> it feels like it. <laughs> I've just I've been, I've been washed over with, with more feel-good pish since the game, so I'm feeling that we must have lost. <laughs> it, it, it would seem so, that way. Yeah, Todd Cantwell seemed to think we lost as well. I was surprised that he was commenting because I didn't think he played on Saturday, but I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, according to Todd Cantwell, according to uh, Kenny Miller, who is once again declaring that a Rangers manager has got the key to breaking down Ian Postacoglu's uh, tactical mind, and according to most of the media, actually, that you know, Rangers put it up to Celtic, so that means that means that they they get the points. Celtic were rattled, uh, no less an authority than Barry Ferguson said it today in the record that Celtic were rattled. I, I like this being rattled. Can we be rattled every week, please? <laughs> <laughs> Look, all joking aside, it was a win for Celtic, uh, 3-2 at the weekend. And Celtic are essentially champions of the league uh, for uh, the second year running under Ange Postacoglu. And it there's no point in us sitting here and pretending that this was a flawless performance and Celtic were incredible and blew Rangers away. They didn't do that. You were hoping for a controlled performance, sort of a, a domination without actually, you know, hammering them, a, a, a domination in the form of just sheer control. It was quite the opposite of that, to put it mildly. <laughs> I'm not sure it was the opposite, to be fair. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say I got what I wanted. But then I think... In retrospect and hindsight, I was probably being a little bit uh, naive, maybe even you know just focusing on performance really above everything else was a little naive. I mean, you know, as somebody I think Chris Smith said to me on Twitter just before I joined the show was, you know, Ange seemed quite happy after the game, uh, and you know that I take my cue from that really because you know he, he as, as I've said many times, he doesn't sort of leave his emotions to, to much guesswork really. And he seemed pretty content with the way that the day had gone. I'm sure he had, um, yeah, I think he had a few little comments about things that could have gone better and things that could have done better. But I think he really was thinking about the result and thinking about 
um, you know, what that meant in terms of the, the season. And, and, that, and that was that, you know, as a professional football manager, that, that makes absolutely perfect sense. And I can't really argue with that. So, yeah, listen, we can pick, we'll pick over the bones of the performance because that's, that's what we do. But um, I'm not going to argue with Ange in terms of his level of, uh, level of uh, you know, being pleased with how, with how it panned out. Yeah, well, like, it's only the odd game that our group chat in terms of me, you and James is active during football matches or during Celtic matches because we're just concentrating on the game. But it was quite active at halftime and at full time and all three of us sort of had different reactions. I was delighted with that because mm. in a way that, in almost a, a different way that you meant it in, in terms of the control and what that would mean and if Celtic went out and just completely bossed that game, what that would do for Rangers' confidence in the semi-final in the Cup. I actually think that this has the same effect as that might have had because Celtic, again, sort of like the flu game, didn't play well. They weren't the better team for some parts of the games. Rangers did have a good couple of chances or did threaten Celtic at least. And Celtic were sloppy for a large part of the game, especially in midfield and especially Armoy, who we'll touch on. And they still won. Mm -hmm. They still won the game. And now that's three games out of four that Celtic have not played their best football and still not lost to this Rangers team. And I think that gives them a real psychological edge going into the semi-final in a way that a similar performance, that a, a controlled performance would have done. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can probably unpick and unpick the Rangers performance as well in terms of what did they try, what was different, you know, how does that encourage them or discourage them for the, for the semi-final especially. Um, but you know, no, you know, I, 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 I mean, I was what, one of the reasons that I don't often comment on Twitter or, or even on WhatsApp groups during a game is because I, I, I just know that when I look back and watch the game with a clear head and the emotion taken out of it and analyze it properly, um, I'll come up with completely different sets of <laughs> sets of views, and so I'll just end up making myself looking even more stupid than I already do. So that's mainly the reason why I don't tend to publicly say too much during games and you know I kind of got caught up in it this time and was very much focusing on Celtic focusing on the fact that you know it looked like we were giving the ball away a lot it looked like we, were, we didn't have that control it looked like we were very sloppy etc but and then of course you know you watch the game back and then you know you watch both sides a bit more closely and what they're trying to do and you realize that they, they were even worse than Celtic you know, in that sense you know considerably worse I mean it was very much to me, like a game that you might expect to see in, in the Bundesliga, where you've got two sort of hyper-pressing teams really sort of going high against each other. And sometimes that can lead to thrilling football because there's lots of transitions and lots of um, chances on the break, which tend to be quite you know, high value in, in that sense. But also, you, what can also happen is the game can just become a bit of a mess. It's just a constant series of turnovers with nothing. It's just a bit of a... It just looks it just looks really bad. You know, it's just like a, a high speed version of a of a kid's game really, where the ball's just constantly being turned over by the team. And, that, and the first half especially, I think, was was very much uh, very much like that. Mm. I'm not sure that this is reflected in the data, but from me from my perspective, it looked as if every time Celtic got the ball, they were trying to do something and it w just wasn't coming off and it was just that little bit sloppy in the final third, the final pass wasn't making it or there was a loose touch that didn't quite make it or didn't took the ball away from the man too far and suddenly Rangers started pouncing on it. 
and it seemed like Celtic were actually trying things. Whereas I didn't get that impression from watching Rangers that they were creating anything off their own accord, that it was pretty much if Celtic weren't as sloppy as they were on in possession, that Rangers probably wouldn't have gotten anything in this game. Yeah, I mean, on the face of it, they played, you know, with, with Tillman and, and Cantwell and Ken and Morales. They looked like a reasonably attacking team. And we know that the fullbacks, they'll try and get the fullbacks forward. But Jack and Raskin sat pretty deep uh, in that sense. And it, it was quite a, a sort of, um, you're quite conservative in a way. But then Celtic were as well. And I think the most interesting aspect of the game for me was really the, the tweaks that Ange made to, to how Celtic played. And he, and he actually made us play, possibly this was a, a sort of facsimile for how, how we might play in Europe. And we kind of speculated about that last week. Both, I think it was a little bit of cancelling out. Both teams fell into a 4-4-2 off the ball, um, which, you know, I'm not I'm still not convinced about, if I'm honest with you. But it's an interesting, it's consistent with how Celtic played in Europe uh, this season with O'Reilly pushing on with Kyogo to form a two and then everyone else fitting back into two banks of four. Um, but what what was different about Celtic this time was that, that Moy, Moy as, as the number eight, didn't really break into the box. Very rarely did you see him breaking past the striker. He played more conservatively. So it was almost like a 4-2-3-1 for Celtic in, in possession. Now, whereas Celtic, as we've said, talked about when they get the ball very crudely, it can end up being a 2-3-5 shape where you've got the eights bombing in the half spaces between the centre-backs and the full-backs, Kyogo doing Kyogo stuff, and the wingers looking for spaces out wide, and the full-backs tucking in to stop the counter-attack, but also to support the, the, the eights and to form little triangles. We didn't see that, and that's not how the team was set up. We actually set up. Um, much more conservatively. So O'Reilly was very much pushed on. And we essentially, whereas we, pre- whereas we would normally ostensibly attack with a five, we attacked with a four instead of a five. And, and Moy, as I say, was a bit a bit deeper and did, not making those runs. But the other thing, thing that was interesting that was a tweak from Ange is the fullbacks, is the two fullbacks didn't get involved in the attack nearly as much as they traditionally do, especially on the right side. Johnson sort of tucked in. So whereas previously it would be a 2-3-5 in possession, it became a sort of 3-3-4 because Taylor did push on a little bit more than um, than Johnson did, but not a great deal more. And Johnson really played a very, a very disciplined game. He really didn't get forward that many times at all. So that was a little tweak, and I thought that was interesting. And so, you know, I think that's another a sort of, you know, does Ange, does Ange have a plan B? I think this was this was the sort of almost the European plan B because at the end of the day, Celtic did not need to go out all guns blazing to win this game. And actually, this is the lowest XG of any home game this season. And I mean any home game this season, including the Champions League. And uh, because, you know, again, when you're 3-1 up and the, goal, and the opposition are gifting you goals, you don't need to go chasing goals. You don't need to be racking up chances. So I thought this... So... so I actually got what I wanted, but not in the way I expected when I talked about control. I thought control was going to be dominating the ball in their third, not letting them out. But control was actually giving them almost nothing in open play because we always had a, we always kept the four at the back. Moy always dropped back very quickly. So we always had that six protecting the defence. And it was O'Reilly, really, that was allowed freedom to go and join the, the, the other three attackers. So I think that was a significant tweak from 
Ange, and uh, you've got to say it worked because just because of the, I think it worked from a defensive perspective, just because of the number of, the, the lack of ability they had to create open play chances. Mm. Yeah, from a football evolution standpoint, I know most teams played 4-4-2 all the time in the mid-2000s. Now most teams are at least top of the head. Arsenal, City, Celtic all play a 4-4-2 out of possession because it's, it's sort of a, a defensive line. I, I just think that's just going to end up back at the late 2000s of the Barcelona playing three players in midfield and maybe the rebirth of a number 10. I mean, this is <laughs> it's a cyclical cycle. It, it just, is, it is. just keeps running around. But that's that's another conversation for another day. Let's get into some of the more individual performances. I know some people are asking about Joe Hart. Might touch on him later on because I didn't think he was overly active or important in this game per se. Can I start with Cameron Carter-Vickers? Because... Mm. I thought this was a relatively poor game from his perspective, again, based upon his standards. And I actually thought that having had a really poor game the, the previous game, the star felt was exceptional at times in this, made up for uh, some mistakes in the back line, mispositionings from uh, people in midfield. And I thought when it came to the aerial duels, especially where he struggles, I thought he actually did quite well. Yeah, I mean, Starfield, I, I, to be fair to him, I, I had him down as not even contesting an aerial duels. Uh, now, listen, people's definition of what an aerial duel is is going to differ, but I had him down by my definition as not, not contesting any. So Starfield was, had a good error-free game, and, and they did not do what, all the, what we talked about, what they tried to do at Hamden, which is launch balls onto Celtic's left side. They just didn't do it in this game at all. <laughs> I mean, I suppose... You know they had Tillman out, I think, on the on that side. Uh, but you know, I'd have thought they'd have positioned Morelos out to challenge Starfield. But Morelos's duels in the air tended to be with with Carter Vickers. Um, so Starfield that really didn't have a lot of defensive involvement, and consequently, you know, he made no mistakes and and was and actually had a, a an error free and an absolutely you know perfectly good competent afternoon. And it was Carter Vickers that seemed to have a few uh, a few wobbles. Um, you know, there was there was an early, an early mistake, uh, a couple of loose passes, but also the thing that I think caused the most trouble was a couple of times he had time to bring the ball down, and he just rushed his clearance, and that then gave away possession in in, in, in very difficult circumstances on a couple of occasions, which is unlike yeah, him because he's not he's normally composure personified. Yeah, he did that in the final five minutes where there was a ball coming over the top and he kicked it straight into the centre of midfield where they got yeah. the ball and were on the attack immediately. It was very unlike him. Yes, yeah, it was. It was. And, and you know, what can I say? The human beings, you know, maybe tension and all that sort of thing. But, yeah, certainly from him, uncharacteristic performance um, in a big game, really. We've not seen that before. Uh, but thankfully, you know, on the other side, Starfelt was, was rock steady. So, you know, <laughs> good partnership, I guess. And they you know, obviously helped each other out in that sense. Alistair Johnson. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> he's just, he's, I think he, everybody has him down as probably the man of the match. And I would have him down as probably Celtics man of the match, bar a few mistakes defensively, especially what would have been a goal for Morelos had it not been given as a foul. Firstly, look, it's soft. I think everyone will say it is soft, but if you look at, say, this the penalty that Starfelt gave away against Hibbs just a week ago, it's the it's the initial pull and then the push. It's the push that does it, and that's why it was given as a foul. 
Yeah, I mean, you you play football at the no end. Uh, my days are gone, but you know, watching football for forever. You know, even grassroots football. My, you know, my, my son, my daughter, forever, forever. There's one foul I can guarantee you: the referee will always give without, with no exception. If the referee sees you raise two hands and put them into somebody's back, it's the easiest foul in the world to give. And Kevin Clancy gave it immediately. Now, it was soft. Johnson, of course, he made the most of it. We've seen that all professional footballers will do that. But it was a simple foul to give. And VAR couldn't overrule it because um, there, was no, there was no clear and obvious error made by um, made by Clancy. You know, they couldn't sort of say, oh, you know, Kev, we, th- you know, we think, we th- we think are you sure it was enough of a push? They can see the two hands in the back. So you have to go, well, there's a push there. We can't, not here to judge the strength of it. The referee's five yards away, um, and has given it straight away. There's not a clear and obvious mm. error. Therefore, you know, this isn't even a contentious decision. <laughs> but, but, no, as we it, all, but, as, but as we all know, this has got nothing to do with the decision. No, I mean, the only other option there is to give a penalty to Morelos. But why? Which is I not, mean, it's neither is a penalty a, either. Yeah, so yeah, a referee, the, a referee so sees you, two players in the box, you know, holding on to each other. They always just le- say, right, I'm not going to yeah. give anything to either of you. We just play on. Yeah, it's the push. It's yeah. it's the push in the back, and again, like you say, every single level, it's what people get most frustrated by when someone does something. Oh, yeah. It's always it's always seen as the stupid foul because yeah, it was just so simple. Just don't push him in the back. Just with don't our, do with, it. Our, with our lads or with our lasses, if if I if, if they if they give away a foul for that, that's one of the few things that I would ever get narky about. Is yeah. it on the pitch? Is them doing that because it's just stupid. So so now that we've agreed on that. Uh, on AJ's performance, what did you hmm. make of it? Yeah, so listen, it it was clearly eye catching. I mean, especially in the first half, there was again those moments that, that we all love. You know, the flying into tackles, the the you know being strong, the, the tracking back, um, you know, not being intimidated by. I think, I think what I love there's a brilliant piece of defending where I think Kent Kent's on the run and he just guides him out wide and just completely diffuses the situation. Um, really, really good piece of defending. You know, he led the team for a number of successful challenges. You know, his defensive action success rate was ninety percent, fantastic. Um, you know, but there were the, there were those errors. I mean, you know, um, that that I have no idea what he was thinking. That clearance where he headed the ball straight at. Carter Vickers, what was he doing for start heading the ball straight across his own goal? And then to head it into Carter Vickers, and that, that gave the chance for Morelos, which was, you know, their one sort of big chance from open play, really, that they had in the whole game and it came from a Celtic mistake. Morelos missed, Kyogo didn't. That's, again, another big difference between the teams. And then with about six minutes to go of normal time, you know, he, he just gave the ball away to Kent uh, and they had a three-on-two. Now, again, big difference between the teams, is that, you know, Kent, Sakala, Morelos are, are really quite poor last third decision makers, uh, whereas, you know, Jota, Kyogo especially are, are not. And again, it's a big difference between the teams. So the chance didn't come to anything that, that, that he coughed up. So those kind of defensive errors um, sort of colour my judgment when it comes to thinking of uh, of the sort of boy, you know, man of the match. Taylor actually just got slightly better passing stats than him. He gave the ball away a lot, Taylor, but he also got the ball forward uh, quite well. 
Um, but Johnson was was not far behind in that regard. As I say, he didn't get he didn't really get forward into the final third that many times. So listen, I, I would have had probably Johnson as, as second, but as far as man of the match is concerned, I would have given it to Kyogo simply because, you know, when the, when it really mattered, he was the one that, without hesitation, without hesitation. I mean, what a cold for someone who smiles all the time. What a cold-hearted assassin he is, you know. So just for his his moments to win the game, really. Uh, and, yeah. and he was fl- he was flawless in what he was asked to do, and he did exactly the job he's asked to do. And I mean, if he if he held his run for half a second more, he would have had a hat trick in this game as well. So, um, like it, it's all well and good the reaction after this game to say that you know Rangers should have had a goal, but Celtic also scored an extra goal in this game that was chalked off, and rightly so because it was offside. But uh, yeah, it would have been a hat trick for Kyogo in well, this also- game. I mean, also, listen, I, I do need to defer to the Yorkshire Whistler. You know, he's looking at the incidents from the game. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure I'll, I'll make myself look stupid again by if I'm giving my opinion, then he'll contradict me. But I'm pretty convinced that, that you know, late on in the game, when what looked very innocuous, actually, Davis challenged O in the box. If you actually see the replay of it, what happens is Davis steps across O, he trips him up. Um, and, and, and then, then the and then and then gets the ball. That to yeah. me, if the VAR looks at that and sees that, 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 that looks a pretty clear penalty. But let's see, the Yorkshire Western may have a different may have a different view. Yeah, we might touch on the referee later on in the podcast because it, it mm. is it is actually a topic we need to t- talk about when we're talking about this game. Uh, just to finish on Alistair Johnson, Celtic following your uh, your style of stats management, they posted a Alistair Johnson stats zone today, 990 minutes played. So they're waiting on that threshold from, from the 900 minutes, <laughs> right. uh, like like you would. Uh, so key passes, 13. I don't know what they define as key passes. Uh, passing accuracy, 87%. Recovery is 56. Duels, 154. And tackles, 20. So, I mean, just from top of the head, he is somebody who likes to get involved in duels. And he is someone that rarely loses yeah. them, to be honest. He does. I mean, his defensive action success rate, which is my sort of accumulated, aggregated defensive metric. Sorry, it's a bit of a mouthful there. Um, but it's pretty good uh, indicator, especially for centre-halves. But he, he, his numbers are more, more like a centre-half. His, his numbers are more like Lustig, if you think of... You know, Lustig is, obviously was a very good defender. That was his primary sort of skill set, really. And, and he was a good long... He was a good sort of range of passing as well. He, he, he profiles defensively like, like Mikhail Lustig in that sense. Um, and, and doesn't he's, he's miles ahead of other defenders in that regard. And as I say, nine challenges that were successful, one that wasn't. Um, uh, that, so it's not passing; it's just challenges on this game. But I say what I'm going to do later in the week is an article that shows how Postecoglou used his fullbacks in this game. And, the, and if you look at Johnson's heat map versus his season heat map, he, he was a, it was a very disciplined performance. He really did stick to task. He didn't. He didn't hardly ever invert in in the opposition half. But he didn't really invert in the opposition half at all. Um, he, he did drift inside sometimes in his own own half to get the ball, but but not as often. It was very much a, a disciplined sort of right right fullback and tucking in on occasion to make it a three when, when Taylor did go, who did go forward a little bit more, but not to the same extent that he normally does. And again, Taylor, he didn't really get involved in the middle of the pitch. Celtic so were very very cautious to keep that back four very quite quite solid, um, and so consequently, you know, um, neither of them had a shot at goal. Uh, they had you know they attempted three crosses between them, whereas you know you normally expect about 
politics, maybe so half half as half as creative, if you like. Normally between them, they'd come up with about three chances. Uh, Taylor created uh, one, um, and so on. So you know, they, they 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 were very disciplined, I think, and Johnson played his part in that. Um, but as I say, in terms of man of the match, it was just those defensive lapses, those two big moments, really, where he turned the ball over uh, badly, and uh, you know, uh, that, that kind of covered it in terms of the man of the match award. In terms of moving forward up the field, then um, we'll talk about the midfield because I think the the, the lack of Rio Hatate in this game really made an impact with what Celtic were doing forward. But I just want to actually. Uh, touch on a comment that's just come in there from Robert Davies asking where is our American friend he's having technical issues his electricity went out during the day so we're waiting on him to get rebooted and get back up so he should be on the podcast uh, anytime now shortly um, in terms of midfield so it was Matt O'Reilly, Cal McGregor and Aaron Moy that started this game weren't sure whether Aaron Moy were gonna, was going to be fully fit and to be honest he didn't look fully fit um, throughout this game Awata came on in the second half and I think it made a big difference to the control that Celtic had in that uh, area of the, the pitch during the game. I Again, I thought Cal McGregor was just excellent in the second half. O'Reilly was better than he has been, which is a really positive sign getting into the box again and got a good assist in a, in a way that O'Reilly was doing a lot last year. And then for me, Aaron Moy was the outlier and I don't want to, you know, absolutely murder him for having a, a sloppy performance. He's been excellent for Celtic this season, but it was it did seem to be at least on first viewing that a lot of the sloppy play from midfield was coming from Aaron Moy. Yeah, and I think that's that's fair. I mean, you know, I did a piece on Celtic by numbers this afternoon showing the sort of um the, the turnover stats essentially. So this is where, you know, when you lose the ball, how many of your own team are you essentially leaving ahead of the ball, right? So that's quite a, quite a good measure of, of the sort of danger that you put your team in. And unfortunately, on, for Celtic, Moy led that. So he was sort of on minus 41 as a score. So it's a scores cup based on who you're abandoning up the pitch. Is it defenders? Is it midfielders, etc.? And there'll be more points mm-hmm. for a defender and so forth. So Moy was by far the um, the most uh, the worst offender in that respect. Um, but the reason, well, the reason that... Um, Another aspect of that, though, was the fact that you know that's been the narrative that you know, Barry Ferguson and the record was trying to paint was that you know the, the Rangers press was so effective that they, they forced Celtic into mistakes. Actually, with Moy, it wasn't even that. He wasn't he wasn't making mistakes under pressure. He just he just it was just all over the place. His timing was all over the place. He looked he looked you know way way off it. I mean, he does remind me of of um, his, his fellow Australian Tom Rogic as being one of those players. That I think, um, you know, because he's he's not he's not he's, he's quite sort of if I say heavy set, I don't want to be over, over egg that he's not he's not a big lad, but he's he's somebody who I think just takes to get his body, his flexibility, his fluidity, his his his, his uh, momentum, his timing. Really, uh, he's what somebody that needs minutes in his legs, and if he misses a few games, it just takes him a wee bit longer. And that certainly seemed to be the case um, in this game, where he just he was he was just way way off it in terms of. You know the, the moy that we've seen prior to the, the, sh- the short injury break that he's had. So yes, moy moy had a very difficult time of it, and, and the numbers absolutely reflect that. But it wasn't because the Rangers press, which was a good press. I mean, I think they did a good job in in limiting Celtic to um, 
you know, uh, passing the ball about a lot in the first half, especially between Starfelt and Carter Vickers. But they didn't really, other than the, you know, Johnson's, again, was a little bit self-inflicted. They didn't really force too many errors out of Celtic, really, and certainly mm. not of the centre-halves. As opposed to Suter and Davis, you know, Starfelt and Carter Vickers were, were pretty um, press-resistant in the game. Um, you know, but yeah, Moy Moy was a was a was a miss, and it's again, I don't like playing players when they're not fully fit. I'd rather have somebody in, even if they're a lesser status in the squad. I'd rather have somebody who's fully fit in than than gamble in that respect, because mm. I don't think it does any good for the morale of the squad either. <laughs> yeah, and I mean the press one is an interesting one because I know the the idea of a press is not always to win the ball back further up the field. Sometimes it's the force teams into positions that they don't want to be but I didn't even think that press did that from memory most of the ball that Celtic give away was like it was Rangers picking it up in their own half it was mm-hmm. a pass to a winger that was you know blocked or, yeah. or taken away um, by their centre halves or, or by their defensive midfielders it wasn't it wasn't anybody in their in their forward line that was picking up the ball which I mean if you're going to give it away that's who you're supposed to give it away to their defenders not their attackers that's yeah. that's yeah. probably rule one of playing out from the back I mean apart from that as I meant to say that sort of Johnson one at the end near the end where he gave it to Ken that, that was largely true and I think what you know what I showed in in the article that I mentioned is that if you look at who gave the ball away for uh, for the Rangers, it, the, the you know the four the five top in fact the six the six top turnover scores negative were their six defensive players, i.e. the back four and the two defensive midfielders. So yeah. so you know, so Celtic forced their defensive players to make mistakes, um, whereas we tended to give the ball away mainly um, in midfield or, or further forward in terms of turnovers. And I think, so I think in that respect, you know, that to me showed that Celtic's pressing was more effective, really. Yeah. Was it Moy that gave the back pass that was neither to Cameron Carter-Vickers or Joe Hart? Remember, Joe Hart came out running for it. And oh, no, that was, Car- was that Carter-Vickers and, and it was Starfield and Hart. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, it was, was Carter-Vickers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 so I... I I mean, technically, that's a completed pass. Well, on paper, on paper, but yeah, you, you know, you know, you know what they say, yeah. and you can make stats say whatever you want them to say. Well, you know? well, um, we always do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's 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 what the show is all about. But I guess these are sort of the fine margins and the difference between the sides because you see what happened when a Rangers player played a, pa- a blind pass like that where Celtic had a forward that was good enough, quick enough, and had the quality to finish it off in Jota when he yeah. rounded uh, Al McGregor. If they had a striker that's not Morelos and four stone overweight, you know, Joe Hart's miles out of his goal there. Starfelt may not make that goal and may- make that pass. And Rangers could have went 1-0 up there very early on in the game too. Yeah, I mean, the thing I majored on before the, the game was the, the, the gap in quality between especially, you know, the creative players in the two squads, um, you know, and, and the fact that Celtic, if they had, you know, to, to bring on Turnbull or Haxavanovic and, and Obada was injured, but the depth of creative talent and goal threat that Celtic have is just miles deeper than what they have. And, that, and we saw that because when their defenders made mistakes, Celtic scored. Uh, when we made mistakes, they didn't. And as I say, it was down to decision-making. You know, Kent, Sakala, Morales especially, you know, Morelos, we know as a striker that needs quite a few chances to score a goal. We know that Kent, you know, he's got very low um, creativity stats for a, 
for for the for given the team he plays for and, and the role that he plays, sort of free role that he plays. And we know that Sakala is a player that you know Van Bronckhorst didn't want because he didn't know what he was going to do, and, and neither did his teammates. So when you've got people like you know Jota who who does make good decisions, Kyogo who's absolutely ruthless, he you know gets the ball three times in a game and scores two goals virtually. Um, that is a huge difference, and and it's it's all right to say, oh, you know, if if they had Kyogo, they'd have won. But it's not it's not that. It's 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 this range of other attacking players that Celtic have got. That if you look at the you know expected goals, expected assists across the season and last season, it, you know Celtic have a depth there of higher 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 more highly productive players. Um, you know, we didn't see anything from in terms of creativity from Raskin. I think he had maybe two pack passes the whole game. Um Cantwell was essentially an empty shirt in terms of, you know, he's a classic, you know, Tuesday night at Stoke player. <laughs> you know, he's, um and as I say, Kent, poor decision making. Um Tillman Tillman's great in the box, not so good outside the box other than sort of falling over. Um yeah, so so it just wasn't. It just was this gulf, really, in in ability uh, to create things uh, with limited mm. possession. Because I think Celtic, the other thing that you know, coming back to Celtic again and their approach is what frustrated me in the first half was the, the number of times Starfelt turned back inside and, and passed it back and kept the ball. And it was like my my brain was thinking, look, they're pressing quite well. They're gone four four two. They're not man marking right. Sometimes. You just have to trust that if you pass the ball to your teammate under pressure, that they're going to take it in because that's how European, that's how good European teams will play. Good players want the ball and they'll take it under pressure. And why are we, why are we just not, put, you know, putting any risk at all into the game? But when I watched it back and I realised that we were just set up to be more compact, it struck me that I think it was deliberate. I just Starfield didn't play a single pack pass in the whole game. Right, that, that can't be because of he was being marked man to man and being stopped. It's just the way that he must have been asked asked to play. Now it, it did change a little bit in the second. Akatovikas did try and go a little bit longer, uh, but it was only him, um, and it wasn't mm. that often. So I think Celtic played a very conservative game, uh, and, it, and this, this was I wouldn't say defensive, but this is probably as pragmatic version of Ange Ball as we've, we've probably seen. Yeah, I, I remember we were speaking to. Matt Doherty, who was playing for Wolves at the time, out of Atletico Madrid, bizarrely. But um, oh. yeah, he he was playing for Wolves at the time, and you know, Jean Moutinho, Ruben Neves, they're all playing in midfield. And when we asked him about playing with them and what it's like to play with them, he his response was that they absolutely wellied the ball at you. And it's up to you to control it. It's not up to them to play the ball softer to you. It's up to you to get your control right and make sure that you're bringing the ball into a correct position. And that's how Celtic play. And that's how teams progress to a higher level. They trust each other to make the right decisions at the right time and have a good touch, even if the ball is, you know, an inch to to the right where it should be and that they should be in the right position. One benefit I do see of Starfelt is that he does have a lot of pace. Um, in that sort of situation where if it's someone else, character Vickers probably still makes it, but I would say defenders of the past, maybe if a Christopher Iyer may not have made that, but Starfelt definitely does have that burst of pace uh, to get onto those sort of loose balls. So um, I think we have our third person here available now, and that is uh, Chico James. 
the American, the, the Yankee, as, as he has been called in the comments on YouTube. Oh. So, but but James, in, in your defense, somebody did say that that once you get used to you, you do forget that you're a Yank. So that's oh well, <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that. Uh, well, I, hey guys, I, apologies. I got power back in my house, and um, yeah. So that was the delay. Apologies for it that. It wasn't another insurrection, was it? No, it wasn't an insurrection. I, despite rumors on Twitter, I was not at Kevy, Kevin Clancy's house uh, picketing his, his family. <laughs> <laughs> we actually haven't spoken about Kevin Clancy. That's, that's, that's yet to come. You'll be delighted. Oh, to hear, but oh, we've, we've, done, we've, we've done the midfield. We've done the defense. But I guess we haven't got your opinion on any of it. So we'll get your overarching opinion on the game. Yeah, I, I think um, pr- pretty much a baseline game. Um, I, I, I would say um, on on balance, uh, it didn't address any of kind of the long-term concerns I have. Um, and if anything, it probably on the margin, you know, I thought, I thought Beal set up and how he, I, the problems that Rangers had were players, not, not the manager this time. So we, we kind of flipped that from the last game from the from the so I, I thought their game plan and how they set up and um you know what 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 they did tactically was was a challenge and difficult for us to to deal with. Um now they ran out of gas. There's some pretty good stat evidence. I know Alan I read Alan's piece. Um I have some supplemental stuff on that if we want to get to it. But um, you know, we 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 struggled a little bit with them and, and I don't think it really addressed. I, I looked at the numbers. I think uh, on a goal difference basis. Um, in- I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In the Champions League, they were obviously the worst, given that they were the worst uh, in history in goals conceded. And and I think we were fifth worst. And it looked like we looked like two teams that would perform that way in the Champions League. I mean, it was not a pretty game. It wasn't particularly high quality. There was a lot of sloppy passes. Um, two of our goals were off really moronic mistakes from them. Um, and... You know, so I, I I don't think it's a needle a needle mover long term. The nice part is, um, you know, pretty much wraps up the league with any kind of, um, you know, this, in the absence of something uh, catastrophic happening, obviously. But um, yeah, so I, I I think everything I can imagine Alan talked about. I probably share most of his views um, and what I read on and what he's put out so far. Um, so yeah. Did they set up in a way that you thought they were going to set up? Uh, you know what? That's why I, I they and maybe Alan has a different view. I, I saw them different in the sense that they were more of a four four two. I mean that that's that was kind of, of different. Out of, out of possession, I think. Yeah. Out of possession, yeah. They're kind of resting defense um, was four four two, and that's that's kind of new. And I, and I and again, I think we struggled with that um, because it did kind of clutter things for our inverted fullbacks and. Um, basically dared someone like Maeda to, to to progress the ball from wide and take on their fullbacks and wide midfielder um, 1v1. And, you know, that's not really his forte. So, I, again, that's why I, when I kind of grade out and attribute aspects of the performance, um, I think Beal actually did a pretty good job, uh, which is, again – the exact opposite. So this is not some Beal love-in for me <laughs> because we absolutely slaughtered him uh, coming out of the, the, the cup final. Um, so yeah, that part of it, like I said, their, their pressing was much better in the first half. Um, they completely ran out of gas and, and I have some, I, I give you the, the data that I have on that um, because it was stark. Um, so they're basically first half, they had 120 pressures and um, no, I'm sorry, that's us. They had 130 pressures in the first half and uh, for a total duration of 112 seconds, I mean, that when they actually engaged an opposition player, so basically 112 seconds, which is actually pretty high. Like both of those, if you benchmark across games and um, com- competitions, that's, that's pretty high generally. Second half, they only had 88 pressures and about 64 in total duration. So that is a huge decline. Like that's, that's a major to, to the point where they were really high to like, mm. you know, not really doing much at all. And in contrast, so our first half was, um, let's see, we were um, 120 in the first half for 104 in duration and 104 in the second half for 113. So our actual duration pressing went up at a good level, but not crazy level. Um, whereas they started out, 
kind of like what we talked about on the preview show, kind of blew their load <laughs> in some respects. And then, you know, didn't have much in the tank for, for the second half. Mm. Loads of people asking in the comments, Joe Hart, should he have saved that free kick? I'm in the maybe category of that. I'm not, I'm not so sure. Somebody says that a top goalie, Pegleg Lornigan says that a top goalie saves that. I think the problem is we can't afford a top goalie. We don't. We, I mean, we're not going to get a Premier League, you know, a top top quality Premier League goalkeeper here. We just don't have um, the money to do so. I think maybe a younger keeper makes it, who's not quite as slow off, off his feet. But other than that, like he can't complain too much when not in off the bar. So, no, so, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was, if you're gonna if you're gonna pick out a um, something that you know that. That's a tough one, meaning that yeah. ide- ideally that's something that maybe, um, you know, to me, like Frazier Forster might save that. Frazier you know I mean? Forster like, saves that because he's half the size of the goal. Like, right, exactly. Yeah. E- exactly. So I-, I think there's a longer conversation to have about Hart. Actually, I'm going to write a piece probably next week about it because um, StatsBomb just updated all their historic information including, you know, accounting for velocity of the shot. And so they're, they've really taken a leap forward, not only this season, but now with this latest update, their, their, um, their data on keeper play is now really, really good. Um, and, and just miles better than, than any other vendor from what I've seen. Um, and I've already looked like uh, we need to upgrade that, that position uh, for Europe. Um, mm. You know, again, domestically, it, it, he doesn't get tested much. Um, but yeah, there, there's a, there's a, I think a serious issue there within the context of competing at the championship, um, champions league level, but that one off, yeah, I'm not going to kill him on that one. I, I think that's a tough, sh- that's a really good free kick. And, you know, when someone scrapes the bottom of the, <laughs> the crossbar from that distance, it's kind of like, well, you know, ideally mm. you'd save it, but I'm not, that's not one to like die on that hill. Yeah. You're not saying to bring in Connor Hazard then? <laughs> no, no. I mean, he, to, 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 you know, many things can be true at the same time, right? So he doesn't, as I'm, a goal, it's a goalkeeper, ex-goalkeeper told me this, that he, he didn't think he moved his feet quick enough, right? So fine, take that, right? But okay, so the wall, you, you, you know, free kick, you set the wall up on one side and broadly you cover the other. Now, heart edge towards the middle, right? But essentially that he's got the wall guarding that side, okay? So for heart, even though the ball did not go in right in the corner, for Hart to be able to save that shot, right, he has to dive, right? So how can somebody dive, be diving through the air and save a shot that is literally at bar height, right? I just, it's just, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't see how, how yeah, he could have saved it really, yeah. At his age and he's his one of his weaknesses is lateral agility. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't, this goes back to, you know, um, from from an analytics perspective, like whatever the expected, you know, uh, the post shot XG on that was, you know, he, he, he's not your average keeper. Like he's he's probably below your average keeper as far as agility and that kind of lateral quickness. Um, so I wouldn't expect him to make that save. Like that's again, like I said, that's not something I'm gonna um, kill him on because he, he, I don't think it's fair to ask people or expect people to do things that they're literally not capable of doing. Like, I don't think he made a mistake there of any significance. I think he's physically incapable of making that save, most likely, <laughs> which, again, that's, you know, we all have our limitations. And, uh, 
some of us more than others. Yeah, and the, um, the, you know, yeah, the, the post shot XG James is point three three according to Statbot Stats Bombs. Remarkable model because yeah. I did I did think that their XG interpretation of this game was remarkable. <laughs> Agreed. I actually agree with. Uh, in addition to the uh, Jota chance, I think they were low on that. But yeah. Yeah. Patrick McGohan says that he would go for Dean Henderson. Hasn't really gotten a game at United or Manchester United, should I say. Uh, Dean Henderson is on 150k a week at Manchester right. United. I, yeah. That, yeah. He, he's not coming. We we need we need to be looking in the market for a young up and coming goalkeeper that does not play for a Premier League club, in my opinion. Or, that, again, or, it, or or is a third it, choice, yeah, right. But the so because as I've said in the past, uh, the keeper position is probably still at the um, most inefficient analytically uh, as far as like selecting what's going to be good for a club and who's good at what. Um, and and so I think the the global marketplace is going to be incredibly inefficient. So there's got to be keepers in leagues that. You know, most of us don't watch or pay attention to in Eastern Europe, um, South America. Like, th- there's going to be s- some, you know, needles in the haystack. I would, I would think, just again, just from a conceptual uh, perspective. Now, whether they're going to come to Scotland and all those other things, I mean, th- those are all obvious issues. But uh, yeah, generally for me, it would be younger, more athletic. Um, you know. Nice long wingspan; those are always nice, but not not necessarily the most important thing. Like that's the kind of the point. It, you can you can have a keeper that has a lot of the decision making and the lateral quickness that maybe doesn't have the wingspan, right? So there's those those kind of things that, again, the 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 higher quality um, data can help identify. Mm. Uh, I was going to make a suggestion there, but I'm going to back away from it very quickly. It's just that you mentioned Eastern European. There was a, a, a Liverpool Academy goalkeeper who played for St. Patrick's Athletic on loan last year. He was their player of the year, Vitslev Jaros. He's Czech, from Czech Republic. He's 21 years old. He's currently playing for Stockport County in League Two. And now I've seen him. He's huge. He is an absolute monster of a young fella. Um, very good goalkeeper but if he's currently playing League 2 maybe he's not at the quality for Celtic but that's one name that I would throw out as a potential due to my uh, vast knowledge of the Eastern European market that's the name that I've come out with the one player who has played in Ireland that I've seen in person so uh, there we go. that's how, that's how high level scouting goes isn't it? you just see them in one game and that's, that's that yes. but uh, I, I want to talk about Kevin Clancy James, but just before we finish up or before we get on to that, because that's a, a different conversation and far more serious conversation as well. Anything else from the performance or the game that you'd like to touch on? Um, you know, again, from a baseline perspective, I think the fact that we, our midfield struggled, particularly in the first half, um, some of that was obviously Moy. And, and again, when you, when you attribute, like there, there's one of two things there and there's to a degree it's on a, on a, on a spectrum, but he was either unfit or he just didn't look great. Right. One of those two. And if he was relatively unfit, which again, wouldn't be that surprising given he was out for that long, you know, you got to question whether or not he should have been selected. I think that's a reasonable question to ask about. And that's what I, that's what Alan was saying before you, you were on that. He'd rather not take that risk. 
Yeah. Yeah. So he, he looked like a fish out of water to a degree. And um, so, but th there again, it's hard to know um, how unfit he was versus, Hey, we just got to see him against younger, faster players for the first time um, in, a, in a little while that are set up in a way to be more aggressive and press the game. Um, Cause we just, again, don't face that domestically. Um, and quite frankly, we haven't faced that against Rangers. Like th this is the first time they've really come out in this way i think and again it came at a cost meaning that they they they, they blew their load but um so I, I think that and then you know um just some of the other limitations like it, it, this is the thing when you when you stress test guys against better players some of their weaknesses start to come out and i, I think you saw that with maeda um i think you even saw that with jota in, in a sense meaning that you know he's not the fastest quickest guy and when he starts going up against more athletic players some of his um, impactfulness gets diluted a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think it was a, the kind of game that showed some warts and then just generally both teams weren't very good, but I think each other kind of forced that. I mean, I think both, both teams were pretty good at, um, exposing some of the weaknesses of, of the counterparty. Yeah. George Byer wants us to touch on Maeda before, Moving on, he said he thought that he let us quite uh, down quite badly again. Um, I, I wish that we were able to bottle whatever Maeda had after the World Cup, immediately after for that like five or six game period, and he could just take a sip anytime his confidence was down because it it just it, do, it does look like he's just reverted to a player who that run has sort of ran out a little bit. He's not getting his. Um, the, the touch isn't going his way. He's not getting past the players quite as easily. And it's just, he's not playing badly or horrendously. He's just, he's set a benchmark for himself, which he now can't get to at the minute is what I, the way that I would put it. So he's, he, what he is doing is he's getting on the ball, right? So he's getting on the end of forward passes to a greater extent than any other Celtic forward. Okay. So it's just that when he does get the ball, we're just not, he's just not creating a lot, to be honest with you. There's just not a lot of goal threat. There's not a lot of creativity there. And he's easily the least creative of all the forward players in the squad and probably has the lowest XG, I think, as well, of all the creative, all the sort of attacking players in the squad. But he is very good at getting on the ball. He's always available. So he gets the team up the park, right? So you're back, you're back to the sort of almost the Ryan Kent argument of you've got a player that gets you up the park, right? So that's, that has utility. And the higher level that you play, the more utility that has, because it really, you know, against better teams, it relieves pressure. And then you got to add into the mix what he does off the ball, obviously, which is probably, um, probably elite level in terms of his ability to, um, you know, press and counter press the opposition. But as I say, the the you know, if he was if he had all that, Andy was very creative. Andy scored lots of goals. <laughs> he would be he would he would be playing for Manchester City, right? Okay, yeah. so this is this is this is where we are, right? So there's there's, there's trade offs with all the players that we have. You know, if Matt O'Reilly had pace, he would be in Manchester United's midfield. Okay, so that's that's how good he is at other aspects of his game, and that's and those are the margins at this highest highest level. So this that's the trade off. So yes, he has probably. I think he did go through. A spell where I don't think he changed his game. I just think he seemed really confident in himself, and just seemed to feel like he could express himself and take more risks in his in his game. I think he's gone a little bit back to okay, I've got the ball, I've got the team on the pitch, and I'm just going to roll it back to Greg Taylor. And whereas he did go through a spell of saying, right, I'm going to absolutely go for you now, 
or I'm going to cut in. I'm going to do something. And, and yeah, that's the. And I think I think he's got that in him. Um, and obviously, you know, hopefully we can get that we can get that back. But yeah, it's it's trade offs. It's all trade offs at this level. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think he's just it's just little small details that's that's missing at the minute, uh, which weren't missing um, a couple of weeks ago. So it's it's just hard to to judge him on that. Just a final point. I meant to get to this earlier on the podcast, but we actually got a message on Twitter before the game started. And I think it's important to note when this message came in before the game rather than after the game because Good Day, Bad Day asks us to discuss whether we could use Bernabe as a winger next season if Abada leaves. He looks more comfortable there and he'd be our first left-footed attacker. I think Bernabe answered that question with that uh, one-on-one when he squared the ball to nobody in the box. I mean, he even glances. I watched it back multiple. He even looks over to the penalty box before passing the ball. And whatever way the light caught his eye, he thought there was a green shirt there, but there just wasn't. So I, I don't think he's going to be our, our next left winger, James. Do you? Uh, yeah. I, I don't hate the idea of trying it, but uh, certainly so far, um, yeah, it didn't go real well in that sh- very short amount of time. Oh, my head. My my hands were in my head just the for about five minutes after. My head was in my hand, sorry, uh, just for about five minutes after that. But listen, it was, it, the, it, it, gener- generally, it was a rough day for winger play. Let's put it that way. Both teams were pretty yeah. dreadful uh, for, for a lot of the game. Um, except for Jota, where you just that, – that moment of quality, that tight finish – that's that, I think that's the difference between that's when you know you've got a really really good player is that he didn't really do much all the, the the full game things weren't really coming off for him a lot of the time but when it really mattered he was able to finish that ball from that tight angle um, do, and that's where do, you see the real quality in, in players. I do I do love a player that when you know when it really gets to the business end you know they're there with the right bullock assist love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, 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 some of the, some of the, some of the female viewers apparently think that you know he's well hung, and, and apparently he's he's got, he's got a willy like an arm because it, apparently it was his arm that passed the ball to. to <laughs> Listen, sorry, it's a family, it, it, family as, show. Uh, I think it was I can't remember what who it was that said about Ronaldo <laughs> that he um, he's he's fast, he's good looking, he can finish, um, and. Uh, but he wishes that he was hung like a hamster, and then and then went 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 on to say that his wife's got a hamster and his cock's massive. So <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going the way that I think a lot of people expected. So we no, should move on. <laughs> let's uh, let's bring it on to more serious matters. In 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 <clears throat> saying that, so after the game, there were a number of people coming out. After Kevin Clancy, the referee, because of the morale of school in particular, um, he's received death threats. He's received multiple abuse uh, threats, and this has been perpetrated by a lot of people online. And one one problem, one major problem I have with this, I don't care if people feel aggrieved by a referee. That's fine. You want to feel aggrieved by a referee? You can. That's that's your prerogative and all this. And most people would say that they were annoyed at the decisions going against their team at any point in time. But what really got to me was the Rangers club itself coming out, 
writing a letter to the SFA, complaining about the decision, demanding an apology for the mistakes, and then condemning the abuse that the ref, that referee subsequently received, you cannot have your cake and eat it. You cannot be as um, expectant of these the, the SFA, firstly, to do anything about this and also not expect that to drive some sort of abuse or some sort of conspiracy amongst your fan group. And for me, it was completely unacceptable. And I really feel bad for Kevin Clancy. I feel bad for most of the referees in Scottish football because they probably go through more than any of them deserve given what they get paid because it's just ridiculous. Who would want the job? I mean, seriously, I've thought that for a long time. I mean, who in their right mind would want that job? Well, that's another thing as well. Everyone constantly complains about the standard of refereeing Scottish football and it's shite. It is terrible. It's awful. It's up there with the worst standards of refereeing in major leagues across Europe. But how is it ever going to get any better if you drive people out of the game? Because it's not. It's just going to get worse because worse people are going to get the job. Worse people are going to go for it. And you're going to be down to like three or four major referees who are part-time referees. And nobody's going to do it if they're getting death threats. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to me, it was a classic case of a Rorschach test or a, a Jackson Pollock painting. I mean, I didn't think that game was refereed in any egregiously better or worse than kind of your standard run-of-the-mill league game. Um, you know, some of the things broke for, some broke against. I mean, I, you could make, uh, you know, I think reasonable arguments about a lot of different calls, but I, I don't think it was like a, a a huge element in the game, meaning that obviously if they scored that goal, that could be a big fulcrum, you know, in, in the game. I, I've looked at that replay in different angles, all different ways. It's like, eh, you know, people could call that, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not a crazy call one way or the other. I don't, people are going to be aggrieved with that call every single time in that environment um, because it's just one of those tweeners. There, there's no, you know, objective way to say one way or the other. Mm. Um, so I, I I, I have uh, incredible empathy for every official in every sport because it's a thankless job generally. Um, and it's only gotten worse throughout the years. And, you know, um, that, that's why generally I'm not that critical of referees because I think they have a in any sport um, because it's just such a thankless, difficult job. And most of them don't make that much money and kind of the aggravation that they deal with, uh, especially on the youth level and, you know, as you go up through, you know, school athletics and then club athletics, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I, I, it didn't strike me. I'd be interested in Alan's take. I mean, I, I didn't, and yours end. I, I didn't, it didn't strike me as a game where it was like, holy crap, this, this ref was terrible. Um, no. You know, you could argue I mean, he missed a, a penalty on, on, uh, oh, or, you know, I mean, like there was a lot of stuff there that you could, uh, you know, with yeah. the hindsight. And, and for him to get personally attacked when, you know, it was VAR checked. <laughs> um, so, you know, in the good old days, pre-VAR, I could, even though it's abhorrent and disgusting, like at least there would be a little bit of logic to it from the lens of a maniac. <laughs> um, but, but this was actually VAR checked. So, yeah. And know. if you if you want to go through every egregious decision, Raskin is sent off for headbutting Cal McGregor twice. I mean, like, you know, rules of the game. If you're If you're sticking to... Every single facet of the rules, Raskin sent off. 
So do you want that to happen? No, you don't. Can Celtic Would Celtic fans feel aggrieved if they lost the game and Raskin didn't get sent off? Yes. Would Celtic have sent a letter demanding an apology from the SFA? I highly doubt it. And you're also talking about the O decision that should have been a penalty, could have been a penalty. For me, the Morales is clear cut. I mean, it's a push in the back, always given there's no real complaints. Alan, you've you've already mentioned it with that as well. So like throughout the game, both teams, depending on who lost, could feel aggrieved in some way, shape or form about the referee's yeah. performance. But on an yeah, overall I mean, basis, it was probably level. I think I think we're falling into a, a trap of we're talking about Kevin Clancy. I mean, that's what they want us to do. You know, yeah, okay, so you could say, well, uh, uh, in the second half, the foul count was 14 to 4. I mean, you know, people were falling all over the place and getting free kicks. You know, okay, but we've seen this in every game in Scotland. This isn't about Kevin Clancy. Kevin Clancy is an unfortunate, um, you know, victim in this in terms of, you know, I think you alluded to it at the beginning. Um, and uh, we've seen um, pundits who, you know, certain facing face a certain way. We've seen, you know, Scottish media. We've seen fan partner media and fan media almost seeming to speak in a single voice on this issue and making a huge deal out of something that, as you and James have both said, two hands in the back is the easiest free kick in the world. It's really not a contentious decision. You don't like it when it goes against you, but it isn't, it isn't, it isn't like, you know, Frank Lampard's shot that goes five yards over the line. You know what I mean? We're not anywhere near that ballpark in terms of, you know, um, what should be uh, any feeling of injustice. This is about deflection. It's about deflection from uh, a team that's lost uh, the league, that's lost uh, the League Cup, and is now, you know, rushed out their accounts into company's house last thing on a Friday night, classic sort of uh, deflection technique, who realise they don't have a lot of money to play with to, to, to build, rebuild a massive squad that needs to um, get their fans on side because they've got to sell season tickets because if they don't, they really are in massive trouble. Um, and, and Kevin Clancy is you know collateral damage and all of that. It's absolutely disgraceful that that is so that is cynical that that is the way that, that, that it is. This is a club which not my not my decisions. Um, but, you know, according to the Yorkshire Whistler, since since the moment that um, Giovanni van Brockhurst uh, quite emotionally let his fans know that there, was, there wasn't money in the bank, since that time, coincidentally, uh, no, no, no relation between these two things, of course, is you know, I've had a string of, of big calls go their way in the league with no nothing really going against them, arguably until, until this moment across the season. Um, you know, they're well ahead on the on the expected points table as far as honest mistakes are concerned. This league should have been done weeks ago, right? Celtic should be, they should probably be, I, don't, I mean, Celtic couldn't get many more points than what they've got. It's impossible because they've only dropped five points, but they should have been dropping more points if it hadn't been for, you know, a stream of wrong sendings off in their benefit and wrong penalties, etc. So, and, you know, this is a team that's had runs of nearly 50 games without penalty against them, uh, stretching back the last three years, have had very little jeopardy in any game in the last three years. In fact, you could argue really only two really big calls have gone badly against them. One was um, uh, Morelos conceded a penalty at Aberdeen, uh, which was probably, I think he was fouled first, and then Lundstrom got sent off at Hibs this season. 
um, and, and that was a harsh, a harsh decision. Other than those two, if you go back over the last three seasons, that's it. That's it in terms of harsh calls. And so this is this is this is this is a manipulation uh, to basically get their own fans on side. It's a manipulation to avoid scrutiny about the actual performance on the pitch. It's a manipulation to get fans to buy season tickets and to keep the goodwill and, uh, amongst amongst their own supporters. But it's also, you know, they don't expect, given what's happened over the last three years, and the last few years are significant, right? Because what happened two, three years ago stopped the 10. What happened last season? Champions League money at the end of it. What happened this season? Champions League money at the end of it, okay? That's why I started doing the whole honest mistakes thing because I knew that the the bounty at the end of the season is so valuable in the Scottish context, game-changing if you get into the group stage of the Champions League, that, you know, we, let's let's look at these decisions and let's have somebody independently assess, are, 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 are they randomly, are, are mistakes being randomly made or is there a pattern to them, Right. Very little jeopardy, almost no jeopardy over the last years. So when something is perceived to have gone wrong, as in, oh, Morelos's goal should have stood, it's almost as if the universe doesn't look like it should, and it's almost like that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not how. That's that, that's not the, you know this is this isn't what we signed up for. This is not the way it's supposed to work. So there's a little bit of that as well. But I think I think it's it's mainly it's mainly the 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 deflection and, and poor Kevin Clancy is. Is the is the unwitting, um, you know, victim of, of of what is a highly cynical, uh, highly unprofessional, um, driven campaign? Yeah, and what happened last time after they sent a letter to the SFA? Pretty sure they haven't had a penalty against them since. Yeah, they complained about Willie Collum. Willie Collum didn't get one of their games for a long, long, long time. And so that's what it's, it's all about. about. It's that, about that control. Is, that's what yeah. it's about. Control. They want to control control uh, the local SFA. They're used to having that control. Mm. I think that's same where we're... Singe, same, sorry, rattling on, but it's the yeah. same as the Singe and the Glen Vodka thing, right? There's, there's no mm. business logic to either of those disputes other than trying to pressurise the, the SPFL and the SFA on, it, on, on or, matters and, and to use leverage. That's, all, that's what it is. I, I think if, if, if you look at the the history of all of this as well. And you can throw in the BBC stuff and you can throw in the away fan stuff. It's all part of the one thing. Like it's all been perpetrated by the one club. The trend is there. It's well, the clear and obvious the, to see. The closing down of the season in 1920. And the, remember the debacle of, uh, what was it the next six weeks? I mean, when we were all locked up listening to some BBC podcasts on them going nuts on, you know, how it was done and the investigations. And I mean, it was it was a complete clown show for like six weeks there. Um, yeah. And then the vote, the, the vote and the controversy on the email and whether someone changed their vote. And <laughs> it was this, like, this is, me. But this is this is what everybody signed up to in 2012. So, you right. know, you've made your bed lie in it. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we'll park the podcast for the day. I think we've gotten through everything. Um, Kilmarnock is the the game of this weekend. I, are we expecting many changes? I, I mean, I guess you want Aaron Moy to come back into the midfield to get more minutes in his legs. Baron de Bay potentially come in to replace Greg Taylor to get you know give him a bit of a rest. But other than that, I can't envisage too many changes on Celtic side of things. Yeah, I don't I, th- again, again, sorry, James, go 
No, I was just going to say, I, I, I agree. I, that, that, this is the game. If someone's got uh, any kind of niggling issues or needs a break, you, you give them the break going onto that uh, abomination of a, of a field. <laughs> um, so, oh yeah. So that, that, you know, anyone that's got a, you know, a little bit of a tweak and like someone like Greg Taylor, right? You know, those kind of players, I think it would make sense to go ahead and give them, give them this game off. We'll see if they do, but um yeah, it's 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 a good environment. Just, they're going to be very physical, um, e- easy to get banged up in in a lot of different ways. So I, mm-hmm. I think that, uh, and it just lends itself to kind of a chaotic, you know, long balling barrage game. So yeah, yeah I don't so, I don't expect many changes really. It's, I just, you know, I don't think we're not at the stage where we're going to have to see lots of kind of uh, you know movement in that. I think it's 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 one game at a time. We haven't won the league, so you know we keep yeah. going. There's also the fact that we don't have actually that many players to use, <laughs> plain and simple, you know, there's number uh, number of people who are currently still out injured. So, um, the, except for maybe Haksabanovich coming into the forward line, I can't see any change. Maybe O might get get a game, a starting game to give a little bit more physicality up front. But other than that, I yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat. And um, that's where we'll park the show for this evening. Alan James, thanks very much as always. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. And thanks to everybody who is watching on YouTube. If you're watching, hit the like button. And if you're not subscribed, hit the subscribe button and you get the podcast every week. And if you want to listen back to the podcast, it's available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get it. We'll be back again next week with a review of the Kilmarnock game. But until then, good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. It's all about the game And how you play it It's all about control And if you can take it It's all about your debt And if you can pay it It's all about pay And who's gonna make it I am the game You don't wanna play me I am control No way you can shake me I am heavy debt No way you can pay me I am the pain And I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder Ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch From a smoking gun I am the game And I so move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Tomorrow the sun, no, I don't dress me Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
gonna be the slave You're gonna change your name You're gonna die in flames Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.